You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This episode number 304 is discussing the Book of Boba Fett episode 1 through 3, Batgirl, and potentially the future of the DC Extended Universe. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And guys, it's just myself and my dude Carlos this week. This is going to actually be a shorter show. We're only going to be doing This Week in Nerd because of family, life, and circumstances. Troy isn't here, and he may not be here for a couple of weeks because he's out there grinding, trying to capture those funds to improve that nerd room that he talked about last week in our nerdier resolutions and myself we've had or i've had a crazy week with my family so we're actually recording very late <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to trim this episode down but we are going to get into the content of course talking about the book of boba fett we've got three episodes in the bag we're almost about halfway through this first season of this star wars show on disney plus so we're going to talk about our initial reactions to that we're also going to touch on Jurassic World Dominion. We got some first look photos here. Both of us are very excited for this property. And they're starting to show the scale of this film a bit more through the photographs that they have released in Total Film, EW, Empire Magazines. And we got some context around that. And we're also going to talk a bit about the DC film universe, DC extended universe, whatever you want to call it post-Flash. It looks like we're moving into just an incredible space. We've got this film that's gonna be dropping on hbo max titled batgirl and it seems to be setting up what our future is going to look like out of the back end of 2022 once we get through some of these big pillar films this year in the dc universe and we're also going to touch just a little bit on some batman news as well but carlos man i appreciate you being flexible here coming in at the last minute this episode is going to drop maybe an hour after we record it so <laughs> I know, man. I'm I'm last man standing with our with our crew here. It's a good thing you expanded the roster. Yeah, <laughs> Ian will be coming in and backfilling some of this, but given the the craziness of life and the chaos of it all, we just couldn't make everything work. And here we are. We always promise something will come out on Thursday. You almost had Troy and Carlos, and then you almost had just me. <laughs> but we are here to deliver that content, and I couldn't be happier. And talking a bit of nerd and escaping from the realities right now is a good thing. <laughs> no doubt, man. No doubt. So, man, let's let's just get into. It. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump into this week in nerd. All right, we can't go any further in this episode without first touching on Star Wars, a franchise that. We have been apart from from a little bit if you're not reading the comics and reading through all of the books that are dropping right now, the High Republic stuff. If you're looking for the film universes, which is where kind of we sit or that film Disney Plus universe, wherever you want to talk, and particularly this Mando stuff. We've had two years of subsequent Mando projects, and this year we get this spinoff in the book of Boba Fett. Now, we haven't talked about it much, or at least since it dropped here on the podcast, because we spent the last couple of weeks wrapping up 21 and looking forward into 2022, and we also had our Norway Home review. So it's been a while since we've actually had an episode like this where we could just talk 
about some of the ongoings of nerd in and around the stars marvel dc and beyond spaces so let's talk about book of boba fett i had a, a great conversation with the guys at vigilante 1939 a kind of kickoff live stream with them where i expressed some of uh not so much my um I, I didn't love the first episode. It wasn't as capturing as, say, the Mandalorian first episode. And I think this this show is taking a little bit of time to ramp up. I'm very pleased, actually, with episode three. I had a lot of fun with that one. But I want to hear your thoughts. We haven't talked about it much, and you haven't talked about it on air, about the book of Boba Fett, the first three episodes, man. Initial thoughts on what is about the first half of this seven-episode season for Boba Fett. Yeah, it's it's all right. I I don't know quite what to make of it, to be honest with you. Um, after seeing episode three, I, I kind of, in prep for the show, came to the conclusion that they had a really great 45 to 60 minute story to talk about Boba's escape from the Sarlacc pit, mm-hmm. uh, uh, being integrated into the sand people and their culture and uh, finding his new way forward to take us to that point that we meet him in the Mando. And then they have probably a good 60 to 90 minute show about Boba taking Jabba's throne. But the whole thing as a continuous series, it seems to be pulled a little thin Mm -hmm. uh, in parts. And then there's, there's parts of it that really live up to that grandeur and that refinement that we've come to enjoy from Star Wars. There's just a certain swagger when Star Wars is done well. And then you get stuff like the mayor's major domo. And every time that guy is on screen, it's, it's full out amateur hour. (laughs) This is like sci-fi network TV. Like I'm just like, what, how is this all in the same show? (laughs) But it feels it like is. yeah, it's like Star Trek kind of like TV Star Trek. This guy, the the major. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, some that, of it's it, good, but it, it's funny that you say that though, because like I think that's why I'm having a hard time with them because Star Trek Discovery and like the new Paramount Plus Star Trek stuff, it's like high level, well written, really well acted, and really refined. And then and Mando was kind of on that level, but then this Book of Boba Fett show, it's like. I don't know what's going on, but I get what you're saying. It's like that 60s Star Trek show for 60s sure. 60s or next generation when you've got 25 episodes in a season and you're running for however long that show ran for, right? You're eventually going to yeah. run into this stuff mm-hmm. right here. And that I agree with that level of refinement. And I find that there's a couple of things with the Book of Boba Fett. I'm, I'm enjoying it, but there's also an expectation, I think, that Mando's set for the scale, size, and scope of this show. Mm-hmm. And this show is very different. I would parallel this very much to a comic book literally being translated onto screen. This feels like a six-issue Boba Fett spinoff comic book series that they're telling a bit of the backstory about the Sarlacc pit and a bit of forward story and all that. This doesn't feel like you're saying like there's enough substance to get a seven-episode, 45 minutes a piece type of story out of this it's very small in scale it's very personalized around boba fett where mandalorian yes there's a lot of that back and forth between him and grogu but every episode's on a different planet every Mm -hmm. episode he's in space he's flying around he hasn't really left the confines of jabba's palace outside of going to the mayor's office when it comes to the stuff set in the quote-unquote present mando time and the other stuff is him wandering through a desert which you know has 
some character to it, but over time, you know, it's just sand, right? <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't. Uh, it it, it kind of just seems plotting and kind of running in place. Like even with something like the Bad Batch, it, that show had its fair share of uh, lesser episodes, but there was always hope for the next one. Mm-hmm. That you knew that there was the promise of something bigger, cooler uh, in the next show or that you'd get to see the characters take big steps forward. But with this, I kind of feel like we're going to end up in the exact same spot that we started. Yeah, it's it's a slow and steady transition to get Boba Fett into the hero's position, get him into a spot where they can tell a hero's journey. I would have Mm. actually preferred, like this dual storytelling, I, I think it works in parts, but it extending all the way through three episodes, I think is a little much. I would have much preferred, I think either, I'd said this on the live stream, either a prologue that was released in the weeks leading up to, like a 15, 20 minute prologue to cover a lot of this. Or if there was an episode about him getting out of the Sarlacc pit and eventually getting to the costume of the garb that we see him in, in, in Mando, if that was actually an episode in season two of The Mandalorian, where mm-hmm. they just took a break from the Mando story and gave us a quote-unquote bottle episode where they told Boba's offshoot story and got him to that point. Because a lot of that, especially when he's putting on the sand person uh, armory and garb and all that, like that felt like, oh, that's why they're telling the story. So we understand why and where he's at in Mandalorian. Like a lot of the mystery of Boba Fett was that you didn't know what was going on. And they took every opportunity to explain everything from the Sarlacc pit, which is incredible, to why he didn't have his armor, to why he looked the way he did, to why he dressed the way he did, to why he, the, the way he fought, right? So they told you everything. <laughs> and some of that could have been left. I think I think coming out of the Sarlacc is a necessary piece, and I love that. But all the, a lot of that other stuff, the wandering through the desert, like I, it, it's a bit much. And I do think that this will become a piece of the book where mm-hmm. you look back and say, okay, this makes sense. And this inevitable war that they refer to in episode three likely has him going and riling up the sand people to be his army would be my guess. And so you're building a bit of foundation for that. But yeah, that's there's some, I, I enjoying it. But again, I come back to the comparison that it is very small and it's a, a comic book. Like this is, this feels like a comic book come to life to me. Yeah, like I almost would have preferred like a series of specials, like like mm-hmm. I said, a forty-five to an hour yes. with just the escape from the Sarlacc pit, the Sam people, and maybe him then returning the favor with Fennec, so then we know how they hooked up, and then maybe an episode like sixty to ninety minutes, uh, the story they're telling now, and then an episode with your big war kind of thing, yeah. right? Um, or maybe you just tell the story of, um. Him, like maybe the story should have been where he goes in the last moments of the Mandalorian season two and leading up to him taking that throne, right? Mm-hmm. Going through that decision-making process as to who am I, what am I all about, right? Because it was interesting in watching the episode today, Boba didn't feel like the badass that he was in the Mandalorian season two, which takes place before this story, right? And you had this guy who was confident and self-assured and uh, could take care of business. Whereas in this, it's like he's always getting his butt kicked, Mm -hmm. be it in his underwear or if he's in the armor. (laughs) And 
it, yeah, it's just it's just weird. And some of the creative choices are weird. Like, why do we need a ten minute chase with the Power Rangers and the those weird... bikes were not good looking. Like they were so <laughs> stiff. Yeah, like it, it, it. That really took me out. Not only the color, but the how wooden they were. Mm-hmm. Like it felt it, like they were just in place. Like they had no personality to them. Because that's one thing the vehicles have in Star Wars, right? Is they feel real. Feel like they're, they're weighted right. They move right. They're sleek. They're slick. This just felt like a piece of wood that they were moving around the volume. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it was just like it was kind of weird because you're talking, you're telling a story about people in like the workers' community of Moss Eisley that can't afford water. But yet they have all these sweet tech upgrades. They're the slickest looking people on the show. And then they have these like super futuristic bikes that seem um, more quote unquote modern than the bikes that Boba steals off of like the biker gang. That's terrible. Yeah. Like it just, I don't know. It, it just has a weird, I, I don't dislike it, but it, it just has a bit of a weird construction to it from just the narrative style to even just the aesthetics of things mm-hmm. like, like the Power Rangers and all this other stuff. So yeah, it is odd. I think it'll be interesting on this one to look back after the seven episodes. I believe it is to see holistically if it all kind of moves together. Right. I'm still trying to think of this. You know, it is called a book, and most shows, you know, you want to have standalone episodes, but holistically, it should all work together. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. looking back on this one to see how it does land because it hasn't come out firing the same way Mando did. It hasn't been getting, at least from what I'm seeing, the same amount of consistent praise. I think a lot of people are seeing some of the holes here and that it's a different story than we were expecting, I think, or at least the pace of it, like you said. And the construction of it is a little different. And Mando not wearing his helmet seems to be a thing that a lot of people are, or not Mando, sorry, Boba Fett, are are taking a bit of issue with. And I personally think that's a, a creative decision to distinguish him from Mandalorian. So that you don't have this like a guy Likewise. walking around with a Mando helmet all the time, right? And so he spends a lot of time as as Timor Morrison as uh, Boba Fett without the helmet, and that's thrown a bit of people off, right? Because the whole thing I know a lot of people love is the mystery. That's the allure of Boba Fett, right? And as soon as you have now taken away that mystery and are really deep diving into it, the character to me isn't landing the same way he did in season two. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious to see where it goes, but mm-hmm. like at, at this point, I'm more looking forward to Tamor Morrison playing Captain Rex and Commander Cody <laughs> yeah. and Obi Wan. So it's gonna see be what awesome. happens. There's there's some, some cool cameos though. You know, as Star Wars does, you've got the Pike Syndicate making showing their face from Solo. We've got the the twins, Jabba's cousins. I thought these were guys that are a guy and a girl that had shown up before, but I think they're new. But it's cool to see Huts kicking around. I think they were from the Clone Are Wars. Are they from the Clone Wars? Okay. The f- female one. And then there was like the, and the Pikes have played a role in the Bad Batch, right? Because yep. yep. they were, they were rolling with the Spice Sisters there. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then even like just the background cameo, my kid picked up the, uh, the one mechanic lady who takes care of Grogu all the time. There's oh, she's scene in it? Where she, She's yeah, she's just walking. She's got like the pit droids with her and stuff as she's. Oh, I totally missed that. That's cool. Yeah, Yeah. then we got to see Tashi Station and a couple of characters. I don't remember their name. Cami and something that were part of a deleted scene um, from the uh, from a New Hope originally. Um, So that was when Bobo goes in and beats all the the gang members up, and there's 
the two patrons that are there that are kind of cowering in the corner. Okay, um, yeah. So apparently they are friends of Luke Skywalker from A New Hope. And that was Toshi Station that he was in. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so if you go back, it's a del- it's like the only deleted scene from Star Wars. And you go back, or one of the only ones, and you go back and look at that. And they've kind of brought that and canonized all that. So that's, very a, cool. that's a very, very deep cut. And then you've got uh, Black Karistan, or however you say his name. Black K, we'll call him. Uh, the big Wookiee, the bounty hunter Wookiee from the comic books, which is really mm-hmm. cool. So he was introduced in one of the Vader runs, I believe, with Dr. Aphra and that. And he spent okay. quite a bit of time on Tatooine with Boba Fett, even at times, uh, during the original trilogy era. Well, yeah, no, and he looks super cool. But nothing's as cool as my man Danny Trejo showing up as a keeper. And Come a keeper on. of a rancor that would have been funded in an instant had it come during the airing of these episodes and uh, with a Danny Trejo uh, backer goal. Yeah, and a swappable head to give it the Return of the Jedi head and this new head with the ring. Man, I'm telling you, look, you go back into my Twitter. I'm going to flex a bit here. I literally put together (laughs) (laughs) a piece that just said, the Book of Boba Fett has announced the Rancor as being part of the series, and I've stuck a, a Book of Boba Fett thing on the black series rancor the what do you call it, the prototype and there it is i tell you and we talked about this when we saw like the the fall of the rancor the haslab rancor there that if they had either waited or promoted the book of like this wasn't anything why they hid this i don't know <laughs> but it, it, it's infuriating now <laughs> because yeah. you're right it would have been funded boom you well, know? and really, if they had waited just a few weeks, there's no way that they're completely oblivious to it being in the Book of Boba Fett. If they'd waited a few weeks, they would have got the benefit of uh, people falling in love with the Rancor again, the potential of Danny Re- D- Danny Trejo's um, Rancor Keeper. But also, you would have had the space between people mm-hmm. paying for the Sky Striker and the Proton Pack and... Jumping into the next project being the Rancor. So, yeah, it was just silly planning on everybody's part. Well, in the illusion that we're going to get Boba Fett riding a Rancor at some point, there's there's another tier. You get the first Tamora Morrison helmet off Boba Fett from the show, riding a Rancor, right? With chaps. <laughs> yeah, with, with chaps. chaps or, come on. that's <laughs> it, This will get repackaged, I will, I think, for sure in some capacity they've got the prototype they've got the sculpt they're gonna add a couple tiers where like you said you get danny trejo robert rodriguez mainstay showing up (laughs) maybe you'll get the platform thing i don't know but it seems so foolish now when looking back that they just didn't someone in lucasfilm wasn't like let's just even if they didn't tell hasbro they should let's just wait on this a few minutes guys just give it a month and you're literally gonna have a revitalization of a Rancor that's going to have what seems to be a relatively good chunk of story told around it in the next couple episodes. I know. Well, it even just made sense for Hasbro to just manage their Exactly. Fans. There's so much there. Yeah. Oh, oh, very, very nice. frustrating. But let's see where the show goes. I look forward to, to looking back on this when we get through the seven episodes and seeing where this actually takes us. If Boba Fett is any further along or like you said if he feels like he's relatively in the same spot i really think that he's 
going to go through this full transition into being the next hero. I don't think they want him to be or have any ambiguity to him, whether he's good or bad. He's going to be a good guy. And that's how Disney's going to run with him, whether it's for toys or the park stuff or in general, they need another hero. Or they want another hero and Boba Fett's going to be it. He's no longer the bounty hunter or the gray zone. He is going to be Boba the great. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They've renamed his ship, so they might as well kind of go all the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, moving on here, man, we're going to put Boba Fett on the back burner for another couple episodes, but let's talk about Jurassic World Dominion. This is something that we talked about last week as being one of our most anticipated films for 2022, and they're starting to slowly roll out the promo campaign here. We got some images over the past couple of weeks, of course, off the back end of the prologue being put in front of us of some of the main cast, not of the old cast, but the, the current world cast with Chris Pratt and Bryce Ellis Howard making appearances in some of these photos. We've got newcomer to the franchise in uh, DeWanda Wise. So she'll be coming and joining up with Pratt and Bryce Ellis Howard to, uh, to chase some dinosaurs around the planet. And that's the thing that I really want to point out here with these images. You can go and search and you can find them. They're all over the place. The Jurassic World main Twitter feed is going to be retweeting all these. Is that the key, what we're seeing here, man, is the environments that we're seeing these dinosaurs in. Everything from your typical jungle, swamp setting, into winter and tundra-looking stuff, which is really cool, which gives us this feel, like we talked about last week, about the global scale of Dominion and how that is going to change the status quo of this franchise and for lack of a better term swing open the gates pull down the fences and let this franchise one run wild which is what has me excited about these photos what are you taking away from some of these you know we've got some dinosaurs in the background some new raptors trevor was talking about new dinos new environment new everything this feels like we're, we're really jumping into a a jurassic world if you will yeah no you put it perfectly it, it does feel like this kind of global movie for the first time like uh, Pratt with that it looks like a raptor but it's like an atrociraptor mm -hmm. whose thick, thick thighs go. don't lie look at you go <laughs> the thick thighs don't lie man um, yeah but that like it, it's just neat to see him in that kind of setting right we had uh, Bond riding around in No Time to Die in a similar type setup so now we have Pratt with the with the atrociraptor there and uh, yeah, like the the image I love the most is that one of him with the Parasaurolophus mm -hmm. in the snow. Oh, so uh, being being Canadian, it's like, yeah, you know, I'd love to walk into the 12-mile coulee there and see a few <laughs> of those dudes doing their thing. And yeah, but like with uh, DeWanda Wise there with the knives, like she's got like the taser knife or whatever. But I don't, man, could that be Kelly? What? Ian Malcolm's daughter? Give it to me all day, bro. That never even crossed my mind. That's all I want. I have literally have the only action figure for right behind me. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. And like, oh, it'd be I, so cool. I quite like that character in The Lost World. I, I know she gets a lot of heat, but I think she's great. Like, the young lady played it well and she had some great lines. She has some great but, moments, uh, too. Like, some of it, yeah, it was, it was different, but you mm -hmm. need a kid, you need that that vantage point you dropping this bomb on me man like you're, you look at my display behind me i've got goosebumps yeah. thinking about that that could be what if that is kelly 
I would love it, man. I think it would be cool and a good way to give her a bit of swagger and agency back. And it would give Goldblum a bit more of an interesting role mm-hmm. than what he's had in the World Series to date. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm all for it being Kelly and her being in the thick of things. And why not, right? If, why not? You, if you're going to bring a character like that back, this is the movie to do it. You've already got the big three coming back. And what a dynamic, you know, introducing a character like that, it has experience with, with dinosaurs, understands it a bit. It'd be cool to see where she took her life post the lost world, you know, yeah. given those experiences and pairing her up with Chris Pratt, that man, poor. Well, it would speak to why she's like a, this kind of dino badass, it seems, right? She's got the mm-hmm. specialized weapon. Her clothing is really unique. Like it's, it's not a police or military type uniform it's but it's something it's got some structure to mm-hmm. it like a few kind of superhero elements like she makes chris pratt look like he's slumming it in his leather vest yeah. there so <laughs> wow yeah, I, I don't know i think it'd be cool i think it'd be awesome if it was kelly and like the the actress looks like she could be the right age because i think kelly is kind of that 12 to 16 in the lost mm-hmm. world so yeah yeah i'd say even on the younger side yeah for sure yeah Wow. Wow, man. All right. Well, you just, uh, whether she's playing that character or not, I think it's cool just to see the addition of more characters, which if this is going to be a baton passing of sorts, or I don't know if they're going further with a four or what have you, but introducing more new characters or bringing back like nostalgia's big right now. We just saw no way home guys. Nostalgia's all the rage. We've got multiverse of madness here. We've got the flash coming up. It's uh, bringing characters back from the 80s and 90s is uh, is exactly what we need more of. <laughs> well, and if you're going to have a legacy character carry on through whatever the franchise becomes in the future, mm-hmm. I think she'd be the perfect yes. one because she's young enough and you can get some mileage out of her, right? Like, as much as I love Grant and Ellie and Ian, I don't know that we need to see them long-term in a substantive way through the next movies. This is a swan song for them, if, if I'm yeah. being honest. I think this is, you're capping off this world trilogy, and I think bringing them back is the right move. But like you said, this it, it could be in the range of a glorified cameo to a little bit more meat on the bone, but ultimately they're not in it for the long haul, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just, pull, I had to pull this out. This is my Kelly action figure. She's amazing. She's amazing. She came, exactly. she comes with the uh, the trailer. It's the only way to get her. That's cool. Uh, perfect thing for her to come with. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Stowing away, just like in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Ah, man, that guy, that conversation got me even more excited. If that was even possible, I'm even more excited for, for Dominion. One way or another, and like you said, new dinosaurs, new raptors, which lends to the idea that you've been really pointing at over our last few discussions with this is that there's likely something else going on too with the world getting their hands on this technology and it being mm-hmm. less of a pure in-gen thing and multiple companies now competing and introducing new species either on purpose or by accident to the planet as well. Because these raptors we've never seen before, there's no reason they should be around other than there's other people now kind of like cooking dinosaurs in the backyard, right? <laughs> Yeah, like I almost wonder if they'll tie it into Camp Cretaceous and that's why we're seeing mm. the diversity in locales with if they'll kind of play around with the biomes oh, wicked. deal that they have going on in the current yes. season of Camp Cretaceous. But yeah, I, I hope it's not that. Not that I dislike it, but I think it'd be cooler if it's just the actual planet that's infested with dinosaurs as opposed to 
this contained spot with these different uh, environmental biomes. But mm-hmm. either way, it's dinosaurs, and I'm there for it. Oh, all day. We got to wait till June to get this one, but we shouldn't be too far off from an official trailer. I've heard rumblings a month or so until we get our first good look at this live action, not just these photos. And these spreads are usually the precursor to something bigger, not only a poster, a synopsis, and then, of course, the trailer. We're less than six months out at this stage from, I think it's June 10th-ish it comes out. So we just clicked over the six-month to Jurassic World Dominion. And fingers crossed we don't see any knock-on effects from what's going on now globally. But this one looks pretty safe, I think, at this stage. So we're gonna get, we're gonna be talking about a trailer in a few weeks here, man. There'll be something because it seems like every two weeks they dropped an image. Mm-hmm. If my reading of the dates was right, so yeah, every two weeks they might be wanting to line themselves up to attach a trailer to the Batman. Oh, and yeah. uh, oh man, what a what a segue! Look at this guy. Yeah. Sweet, we gotta spend the the rest of our time here talking about that man, the Batman. Look, I raged on about the Batman in our episode last week and it was a real celebratory piece on the year of the bat and that's that's really what we've transitioned to from Spider-Man into the year of the bat we've got the Batman coming here in early March we've got some news here about the Cape Crusader the animated series that's coming which is very exciting and also Batgirl like this this universe is quickly developing into something that is extremely exciting i i cannot say enough good things about the direction that dc is going big or small screen character that is recognizable from the 80s or brand new character that is coming in and being introduced for the first time in these universes all of it seems incredible to me yeah man they're they're crushing it like it's exciting times and whatever whatever you want you put it perfectly like just last night we get the premiere of naomi mm-hmm. character who's been on for a year or two and then we're getting all the batmans mm-hmm. the character that is in the book that dc gets its name from so yeah it's it's pretty exciting to see just the spectrum of offerings that they have this year Mm -hmm. and that that, that's the cool thing about their approach to all of this too right you look at marvel's structure they've had a direction for a long time and i kind of like this almost open source of storytelling when it comes to dc it's like we're gonna pick from everywhere and we're gonna offer you a bit of a buffet to put it in terms that maybe sanjay would like to see (laughs) and (laughs) and just say what do you guys like like and let the the fan base let the ga kind of decide a little bit of this while also just telling good stories of great characters Mm -hmm. and one i've been banging on since i joined the show like (laughs) i'm all about the character over continuity thing Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah it doesn't all have to fit right like i would bet my house that the peacemaker doesn't tie very closely if at all into superman and lois no or naomi it doesn't need but, to <laughs> yeah all three shows dropped this week and that's cool right yeah we're on Watch the, what you want we're on the edge of it isn't it tomorrow or the next day when does peacemaker drop yeah when when folks are listening to this episode peacemaker will be on hbo so so we'll be talking about that next week three episodes guys that drop tomorrow which is very very exciting i can't wait to get into that but before we get into peacemaker next week we got to talk a bit more about the batman let's touch on the the cape crusader animated series this is something that we've been talking about from its announcement through dc fandom 
the excitement behind the creative team on here. Everyone from Matt Reeves, who's doing the Batman, of course. We've got J.J. Abrams on board. We've got Bruce Tim and James Tucker from the animated series fame from the 90s show there. And they're adding another longtime comic creative, someone that has a huge history, not only with this character, but with characters like Captain America. And that's an Ed Brubaker which kind of like spiked my interest again in this. Like how many creatives are you going to put on to this show that just have an unbelievable track record in not only telling good, well-thought-out comic book stories, but comic book stories that are folks kind of around Gotham? Because he did Gotham Central, correct? He did, yeah. yeah. And he's written a, a few other – like he had a run on uh, – I don't want to – I think it was – Batman might have been detective, but he had a run on one of the mainline books. I'm mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Batman uh, as well. So, yeah, he's well versed with the character, and I I love the fact that he's come in as the guy to head up your writers yeah. room, right? And then you have your Tim and your Tucker as your showrunners. It seems like a marriage made in heaven. Mm, it's it's just a, a creative powerhouse that they've put together for this thing, and like it's interesting because you take the concept of the show, which in itself is exciting enough. But you build in the continuity from creative teams from the animated series. You're adding in what are likely overseeing production people in Abrams and Reeves. And now you've putting Brubaker into the writer's room. You know, Brubaker is a favorite of mine because he is responsible for the Winter Soldier arc in Captain America. One of my favorite Captain America runs there from, I can't remember, sometime in the, the mid-2000s there. And I love the way that he resurrected Bucky and how he... You know, he was one of the ones that really took Captain America. You know, a lot of it's credited to the Winter Soldier film, but modernizing that character, he played a big piece in that, in, yeah, in through 100%. that Brubaker run of Captain America and modernizing really his whole universe to the point where Tanashi Coates, who's writing the current Captain America comic book, is still referencing back to that Brubaker run. There's still threads that they're pulling through, you know, over a decade later. And that goes to show the importance of that, right? And that how big that film was and how important that film was for the character of Captain America on film. You know, Brute Baker's responsible for all of that. And to see that he's done that and then he's also done Batman stuff, man, it's it's perfect. I'm I'm so excited for this. 23, though, we got to wait for to get this one. Yeah, but if they're going to do it right, I'm I'm here for the wait. Like it, well, we got enough fine. content coming at us, enough bat content anyways this year. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. And that'll be a perfect way to kind of, you know, maybe 23 is a bit of a step back from live action Batman. You have the animated series front and center, and that can be your showcase piece while you let other DC characters take the spotlight mm-hmm. for a bit. So, yeah, it'll be good. And I think he's an an ideal voice to be in that room Yeah, just based on his... Uh, his history and also he, he seems to be the kind of guy that can work in a collaborative space, yes. which is which is required, right? Because we've seen guys that are great writers that just can't collaborate on uh, these types of projects, but he certainly seems to have the the constitution for doing that. So oh, it'll be a gooder. It's I can't wait. And I like actually now that you say that about taking a bit of a breather in 23 and transitioning to something a little different for the Batman. It's got me excited now a bit more because I was a bit disappointed when I read, oh, okay, it's 23. But yeah, it's kind of gives us a nice holdover because there's so much coming out in 2023 right now to be excited about in DC. And one of the things, of course, is the Batman. We've been praising this for months and months and months. The trailers, everything looks incredible. We got a rating for it this week. PG-13. What's your, what's your take on that? Necessary? Should it be R? Should it be PG? 
feels about right to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like a, a blind man could have seen from the day that they announced this movie that it was going to be PG-13. It it just makes sense. Like the, the Dark Knight proves that oh, yeah. you can tell a pretty gritty adult drama with a PG-13 rating. And, you know, you, you look at a movie like Captain America, The Winter Soldier, nobody's going to say that it was shy on action and that the fights weren't brutal and uh, that we didn't get some visceral action. That one was PG-13. Like, I, I don't know what you want that would constitute it being an R. Like, you're you're not going to get nudity, but you're not going to get nudity out of that cast no. anyways. <laughs> and, like... I don't know. I, I would argue that the best X-Men action that we've seen was in X2, which was a PG-13 movie. But you know that he's ripping those people apart. They just show it in a different way, right? And that's what this is going to be as well. I think this is going to rely a lot on audio for the hitting mm. and the visual. Where I, I agree that you don't need the blood splatter. You don't need... Like, Batman's not out here tearing guys' arms off right nope. it's it's all about the physicality and you look at scenes like you said with dark knight the jail scene with the joker him beating the crap out of him in there like one-on-one -on -one. like that's a visceral scene where batman's taking him apart right and there's some intense intense stuff and the r seems to be the it's just the language a bit and some of the violence but i there's nothing i've seen in these trailers that stands out to me being like this needs to be an r or this doesn't work right like no. there's there's nothing there and also why are you going to alienate a huge chunk of your audience by making it an r like that just seems silly to me yeah no totally and the other thing too with r's is that i find that if if you're gonna open the door for an r rating that's one thing but sometimes because there's an r rating available the filmmakers do dumb stuff like in my best example of it is logan and like Professor X and all these F-bombs getting dropped all over the place. Like I am not a prude by any stretch of the imagination. And I swear like a trucker. <laughs> but too. it just became, yeah, it just became silly. Mm -hmm. And it made the whole thing seem dumb. Yeah. Right? Like in, and you know, like the Harley Quinn movie as well. They did things because they had an R rating open to them. But that movie could have been PG-13 and you probably triple your box office mm -hmm. um, by allowing your your young lady audience to be able to actually come in and see that movie so yeah it just it just makes sense yeah. to me well and like show me a story too you've been reading batman for for your whole life show me an r-rated comic book that needs to be translated directly onto the screen right the, the one doesn't exist right killing joke maybe you can argue is r ish yeah but outside but of that like where where's the r comic book right like that character has been PG, PG-13 forever. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, and even The Killing Joke, like, that, that is the one R-rated Batman movie, and it's terrible. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm i right there with it. Like, in any sense, I'm a grown man, so I'm going to see if it's R or not. But I agree with the decision to, to take this to 13. It, it, it only makes sense. And, look, they're also trying to build universes, like, not just one. And mm -hmm. you need a Four Quadrants movie. And your Batman, your relaunch of your Batman solo franchise has to be one, a success and two, it has to be accessible to anyone that wants to go see it. Right. It's there. There's a time and a place to tell an R story and the Joker was there. It was that. Um, but do you want what is meant to be one of your mainstay pillars 
only doing the 18 to 49 men audience? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, probably the best argument I can have for it is there is two Planet of the Apes movies that are heavy, dramatic, are full of action and intense scenes, and they are PG-13, and they are made by a director who <laughs> might be the same guy making this movie. So there's your proof of concept. If you want to know what a PG-13 Matt Reeves Batman movie looks like, you have two Planet of the yeah. Apes movies. And if you tell me that they weren't dark enough for you, they didn't do enough character work for you, or there wasn't enough action, um, then I'll listen to your argument as to why it needs to be R. But aside from that, no. This is the right play for both the filmmaker, the studio, and will ultimately serve the audience, like you said, yeah. the widest audience possible. Exactly. I ah, can't wait, man. I can't wait for the Batman. But another property that I'm really looking forward to that we have to talk about here is Batgirl. Batgirl is coming, guys. Now, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler section because this is some discussion that has been seeded by set picks that we are seeing dropping onto the internet. So, spoiler alert for Batgirl. But, Carl, so I want to I get your thoughts on this one almost immediately because of the character and also his sidekick that we're seeing in probably the most prolific set pick from Batgirl, and that is the mural that they seemingly are putting up on the wall of one Michael Keaton and his ward. So run me through this thought process of you seeing this and potentially what this is for Batgirl, because Batgirl seems to be setting up as really the epilogue to the flash it seems right where the fallout of that is going to be seen in batgirl potentially mm -hmm. well man like first i see kind of that painted mural that fresco style painting of batman and all i see is batman and it's like it's cool because it's an artist rendition of what mm -hmm. they think michael keaton's batman looks like but he's not exact right like I like the fact that Batman's image might be a little ambiguous to the citizenry of Gotham. So I was like, that's cool that they kind of went that way, that he's not exact or, you know, it, it, I'm assuming that's not an updated suit or anything like that. It's just the artist's vision. And then somebody hits me up with like the full picture. And there's no way that these set images aren't planted by Warner <laughs> Brothers because uh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Who's taking that picture Two feet yeah. away, perfectly. There's two guys holding this perfectly thing, framed, framed. Yeah, framing it out for them. <laughs> Did you get it all? Like, <laughs> nice do we have to clear. turn on the light so you can see it better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Romeo, take us, take a second yeah. one just in case. But uh, you got Robin, and this is the first time ever, aside from that hack job tombstone in a movie we're not going to talk about after the Flash, and you got Robin, and looking like Dick Grayson, looking fierce looking like the Jose Garcia Lopez superpowers action figure box, just stuck at the bottom of that thing. And man, like, I, I don't even love like the OG Robin costume. I think it's a little silly. But uh, just knowing that our Robin exists in a live action Batman universe just set my heart aflutter. Like I couldn't send that picture to Troy <laughs> fast enough because it was just like, man, because there had been a few rumors that Dick Grayson might be popping up in a Batgirl movie, and it's a good spot for him. So why not? But uh, this this really made it real. Like, honestly, if all we get of Dick Grayson is this picture, mm -hmm. I'll be 
it'll be okay for me. It'll be enough to get that tease because yeah, he, my boy always seems to get the, the short shrift with any kind of live action treatment. But if this means that he's actually going to be realized in a movie, that's amazing. It, it's so cool that they're integrating so much into this. Like when we talked about the Batgirl going on to HBO Max, there's discussion around: Is this film going to actually be important? I think this is your one of your biggest signs yet that they're taking this as not only a significant piece for HBO Max and the storytelling, introducing Batgirl Leslie Grace in this role, but this can have significant, at least story implications narrative implications for the grander dc universe going forward like this is like a nexus point it seems for everything that is going to be going on throughout this year that batgirl is going to be dealing with the fallout of a lot of this this universe that is potentially going to be created post quote-unquote flashpoint right oh definitely man and one of the other pictures that uh kind of got leaked was a black canary that's clearly Journey Smollett Bell's Black Canary from Harley Quinn and the Birds Prey. So that's pretty sweet too. And kind of seeding that and maybe lends a bit of credibility to the rumors that she'll be in a mentor role, which is perfect. Perfect for that character's reintroduction to the larger fan base. And there's a couple other characters too, like yep. Hugo Strange got a bit of a tease and the coffee shop that Babs goes to. And then... She had that red she hair. Did. The ginger ninja is in full effect. So I don't know. And you just you look at the set photos and there's a couple selfies that the directors took and they're just vibrating. They're so excited. And then you see her and she's under this like raincoat and umbrella. But you just can't she can't contain the enthusiasm. And I, I just wish nothing mm -hmm. but the best for these folks making this movie. Like it's going to be something special outside of all these really cool connections that we have to baller DC characters yeah. all over Even the place. Even rumors J.K. Simmons going to be returning and reprising his role as Commissioner Gordon from, of course, the DC Extended Universe version. You're getting Michael Keaton coming in from 89, who's going to be reintroduced, of course, in The Flash. Like you said, we've got Journey Smollett that are coming in from that Harley Quinn, you know, wherever that universe actually is. If that's actually part of the EU or not, I don't know. So there's, there's so much here that is really kind of amalgamating into this piece that is continuing to prop this up. And then, you, like you said, you layer on top the fact that Leslie Grace is just so excited to play this character and, and get the, the screen time for this character that I think is, is very much deserved at this point in the storytelling. And it's got me pumped up for this. No, there's this discussion, too, around her actually taking up that, that bat mantle for a piece of time here in this post-Flash world where, of course, Keaton's moving into that mentor role and she's really taking up that mantle inside of Gotham City. Um, that paralleled with Sasha Calais' Supergirl potentially taking a bit more of a lead in the, the super side of things. What, what's your thoughts on what this from the set photos and some of the other discussions that we've had and that are being had online right now about the post flash world that we're going to be living in with whatever this connected DC universe is or is going to be. Yeah. As far as Callie's Supergirl goes, I think she's a mm -hmm. piece of a, a bigger family. Like I don't think for a second that we're not going to see, yeah. um, <laughs> 
Superman, <laughs> and I think it's going to be Cavill's Superman in the Black Adam piece, like, and in that universe and whatever they do going forward. Like, I don't think she's replacing him by any stretch of the imagination. And there will be a Superman and a Supergirl concurrently working. And even if there's not, you have an amazing Superman yeah. on Superman and Lois, which is one of my favorite versions of the character ever. So I, I get my Clark Kent itch scratched either way. Uh, as far as Batgirl goes, it kind of makes sense because you have Pattinson's Batman operating in that uh, prime of his mm-hmm. life, getting into the prime of being uh, a vigilante uh, version of Batman going on. And so then you don't want to compete with that. So you'll have your elder statesman, Bruce Wayne in Michael Keaton being the man in the chair. And I was cool with it, but now I'm really cool with it with the, uh, sense that it's not going to be just a Batgirl, but potentially a bad mm, family Nightwing, that's Night. taking care of business. Yeah, man. Like it's going to be Gotham Knights. Look how excited we all got for the video game. And essentially it's kind of the same, same mm. premise. Bruce isn't going to be a talent in the Batgirl movie. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler for the game that Troy and I are calling out way before uh, anybody ever plays it. But uh, yeah, I think it it just makes sense, right? And for me, from 1978 until 2022, Superman and Batman have always been your mainstays. And they've almost been like a barrier to the mm-hmm. other characters uh, getting time to shine because you can kind of see that old school mindset where it's like, well, if Superman doesn't work, then nobody else is going to work. And then they try Batman and Batman works. So then it's like, well, only Batman can work and none of these other characters can fly. And Warner Brothers has always kind of been hesitant to do anything else, right? And I give full credit and love to Kevin Feige for being the guy to kick open that door and say, like, hey, idiots, like, it can all work. You just got to trust yeah. in the characters. So, yeah, he he's the guy that you have to thank for them taking these risks on these other characters, and it's it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, why not? Uh, why not? It's... I'm right there with you. I'm here for all freaking day because I think your point is a really good one about what we'll call a brand recognition for Batman, right? You have your Batman piece happening over here. And then you're going to have, mm-hmm. yes, your connected universe story is a little different, a little bit further progressed, maybe where you don't actually have the Bruce Wayne Batman, but you're also now allowing these stories to be told with Dick Grayson and Nightwing, potentially Batgirl, you know, whoever else, Red Hood. I don't know, right? There's there's so much you can do there and so much, so many stories you can mine from that people, like you said, absolutely love. Like, why not take that opportunity? What are we going to wait 10 years until we have an established Batman before you start telling those stories? Like, why not get to them now? (laughs) Totally, right? And then you don't have to go through all this clumsy storytelling of, uh, you know, Dick Grayson, like, how long does he train for? And is he, like, a 10-year-old kid? Well, that's not going to fly, so we have to age him up to be in the college Dick Grayson. And, well, then if he's a college guy, like, in Batman Forever, then why does he need Bruce Wayne to... Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you just... It's just... there's Batman and Robin, and now yeah. he's Nightwing. Well, Let's go. run with these stories. Run Let's with these go. characters. And you open yourself up to the ability to tell and potentially do things like the Quarter Owls just a little bit twisted, like they're doing in Gotham Knights, right? Or opening mm-hmm. up to things that have happened in the past, and you now have an avenue to tell a bit more 
of that missing piece between really Batman Returns and now, right? You can you can leverage those stories still and a Batman of sorts and having those have some sort of cascading effect into the present day. I think that you just allow yourself way more room to tell stories other than limiting to. And then if, if you don't like that, guys, there's a giant movie coming out of the March 4th called The Bat, like literally The <laughs> yeah. Bat, there's your Batman. And you know what? It's, it's they're moving on, they're, they're opening up their ability to tell stories and run with a Nightwing trilogy, run with the background. You know what I mean? Like to me, this is just, it's not only good storytelling, but it also is setting your studio up for a future with strong, diverse character sets that you don't have to have your phase one and phase two to introduce these characters so that they can pick up the baton in phase three and phase four. If you, if you can relate that directly to Marvel, right? We're seeing that happen right now. It took them 12 years to pass the baton to a new black widow, a new captain America. You know, like, they don't have to do all that stuff. They're just going to run straight into that piece of the storytelling. Well, and you can build it right into the movie that you're, that you're crafting because Marvel did it with Ant-Man because you had a, Hank Pym Ant-Man that had a full career and did all of his stuff and he was retired and out to pasture. And not only did they introduce a new Ant-Man, but the new Ant-Man wasn't even directly connected to Mm -hmm. the legacy of Hank Pym, who's just this guy that happened to rob him. (laughs) And then the story unfolds from there, right? So yeah, if they could do it in that space, I have every confidence that DC can do it with, you know, having pieces that, actually will have some connection and you know my mom knows well my mom might be a bad example because she's so connected to it but your wife's mom knows that there's batman and there's robin and robin is the guy that was batman's partner job done no you don't need any you don't even need like a credit scene to explain anything it's just batman and robin they're they're robin's yeah old now retired maybe and he's doing something different right he's nightwing now or I, I just like the ability that we're going to see new stories, right? We're going to see mm-hmm. a new Batgirl. We're going to see Nightwing. We're going to see all of this stuff put it in front of us. And it's going to be on HBO Max. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Blue Beetle's been shifted to a theatrical release now, right? Yes. This one, I'm curious yeah. if they'll do the same. If they'll, not that it's, I think the HBO Max isn't a platform worthy of this story. But I'm thinking as this grows and as they're investing in it, that they're seeing things like No Way Home, which this won't be on that scale, but you're seeing a mixture of present day and nostalgia and whether this could have a serious impact on a box office at some point, right? If The Flash or The Batman or any pieces really light the world on fire, which I think they will, it would make sense for them to at a minimum do a day and date with this one. Oh, yeah. Well, and... Batgirl is just such a mm-hmm. super popular character. I think they underestimate yeah. how popular she is. So that plus all these draws with Keaton and Robin and everything else. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if they mm-hmm. shift this one to some kind of hybrid or just straight out put it on in theaters and be like, yeah, we'll give you something else yeah. on HBO just, Max. Uh, they're doing the 45-day window on HBO Max this year, aren't they, with some of those releases i think the the batman's a 45 day if i'm not mistaken um mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. eternals dropped today or yesterday whenever it was so like that movie was just in theaters so <laughs> you don't have to wait that long <laughs> if you want to wait out yeah. for the 
for the at home movie or your home movie theater experience, it uh, it's it's not long. Forty five days is a blink of an eye. I feel like in this world. <laughs> oh, totally. One just the the quality of the production, the way it's starting to go. I'm like, ah, you know what? Let's just see mm-hmm. this thing on the big screen and and you know it'll be on HBO Max soon enough and. I don't think they're trying to woo subscribers as much anymore. It, it seems like they've had some pretty yeah. good success in that regard and that their experiment paid off to a certain extent. So yeah, why not? If, if you got a special movie, throw it up on the big screen and you know, HBO max, they're no slouch. They got some pretty cool stuff. They have that new Zoe yeah. Kravitz movie coming out that had a killer trailer. So yeah, there, there's plenty of stuff to fill that space, but yeah, I, I'd love to see Babs on the big screen, but, those set photos it's it's skyrocketed oh, yeah. my anticipation of yeah this, this universe is exciting like we said that this is a, a pivotal year a pillar year for for dc and it looks like they're looking to continue that momentum well into 23 you know if we go back a few years talking about the dc and the big question mark hanging over the head of warner brothers as to where this universe was going we got four movies this year guys we've got at least one maybe two shows and we're already seeing the production photos for stuff coming out in 23 I'm presuming this is in 23, late 2022, early 2023. Yeah, they said late 2022, but uh, I think this is the first weeks that she's been on set. It, why, so. And then why clog up yeah. more of your DC? Like, this is the most content DC film and TV, like, in that film universe that they're ever giving us. So there's no need to layer something like this. I'm like, let's pump the brakes, put it out in February or January or whenever next year and make put it as a, a nice crown jewel of your 23 releases would be my hope there right oh totally well and like the fact of the matter remains is like we had a couple of years where we had one mm-hmm. dc movie like we had one aquaman movie one yeah. joker movie one harley quinn movie so yeah we can when we have four dropping we can spread yeah. it out just I think, a little I th- bit i think we'll be okay <laughs> this year for for dc content that's for sure so very exciting times for dc for these characters and really for the whole nerd world guys we talked about both fed jurassic world dominion here we've got the batman coming up here all this great stuff so it is incredibly exciting and we're actually going to call it there this week guys we're going to actually skip our week in nerd as we said at the top we're trying to cut this one down just a little bit to make the editing time uh, a little bit easier on me because you're going to hear this, like I said, about an hour after we've recorded it because it's a bit late here on Wednesday night. But happy we got to see, actually sneak in that third episode of The Book of Boba Fett and looking forward to, to running that down once we hit that episode seven. Peacemaker next week, guys. As you're almost listening to this, Peacemaker's going to be out. You know, our boy Ian's probably already hopefully plugging into that in the, another time zone. So be very excited to run that down. And we've got some plans for some other things to happen regarding things like the box office pool and all that stuff we got some ideas percolating it's all coming guys it's been a little on hold here for because of our our chaotic schedules but nonetheless like we always promise there will be something in the feed every single thursday and here it is so happy you got to talk and carlos i appreciate you pulling this together and uh, allowing me to have a bit of a break from the the craziness of life Hey, man, that's what it's all about, this uh, nerd room yeah, space. So. Love it, man. Great yeah. celebration tonight. A lot of fun. If you guys like to be a bigger part of these conversations, you can always email us at nerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do at the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real, and it's over and on Instagram. We're slowly building that back up after a little bit of a hiatus through the holiday season. There's some. There's a nice Venom photo up there. 
I'm going to be putting some videos up here of some changes to the nerd room. So very, very exciting. So go over there and give us a follow. YouTube, we've got another video from Ian, which will be dropping likely tomorrow. I haven't had a chance to upload it yet, but there'll be our normal weekly drop of content there. He's got a really cool uh, vlog style thing that he's put together with uh, some more of the Toy Sapiens and Spider-Man days. So very, very cool stuff over there. So go over and give our channel a subscribe and do all the things you need to do to make YouTube like us more. We'd really much appreciate that. And Twitter, you can always find us there. Hashtag we the nerd or our handles are at the end of the episode. So guys, until next week when we have Peacemaker and a whole bunch more fun nerd stuff to talk about for the nerd room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. Thank you so much for entering the nerd room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.